This is Rachel Joy Barbeau. As part of the launch for my new book, Relentless Joy, that's due out June 20th, my friends got together and created a book launch team. Y'all, I am so blessed. So very blessed. In that group, they're getting some behind-the-scenes details from the book, and we've been discussing the book together each week. I wanted to share some of those stories with you. So over the next few weeks, you're going to get bonus podcasts that contain short stories and lessons from our discussions. You're going to hear Natasha Garrett, who's our book launch captain and also serves, and I'm changing the narrative, and you'll hear from me and maybe some others. I hope this gets you excited about the book. Pre-order details are in the show notes, and I got to tell you, as a first-time published author, pre-orders are everything. Please go grab a copy for you and for others. Love you guys. can buy things, you can accumulate wealth, you can, there's nothing wrong with those things, not at all. But the way I live now and the what I want to teach people, there's a different way of living to where when you help somebody, it is the, a greater gift than when you get yourself. And I said that in the book, there's a special kind of joy when somebody else gets blessed, when somebody else, you help them out of a chair. You were there when they didn't fall down. You picked them up. You were able to give the $10 in the line behind them so they could get their formula. Whatever it is, that is the purest kind of joy. And you're you're not doing it. You're just using your two eyes and your soul and you're opening your eyes and going, okay, God, is there somebody that needs me? Where can I do? What can I help? How can I help people? And yeah, it's such a beautiful way to live. And it's so fulfilling because things, Shopping things, you know, they're fleeting. The joy from worldly things is fleeting. Helping people, that's a joy that's lasting. So the last thing I want to talk about in this chapter, I just feel like I wouldn't even be talking about Rachel if I didn't say the term like radical vulnerability and taking off the mask. Just for those who don't know you, what does that mean? It's That's good, Natasha. Getting comfortable being uncomfortable. And I chose in 2016 to start talking about an experience that changed my life. And it was uh, many, many moons ago before I, I met my husband, but I was drugged from one end of the house to the other by my hair by somebody who claimed to love me. And there were other people in the house that night and no one helped me. And it went on and on and and suffice all the, the details, but I had chunks of missing hair out of my head. I had rug burn and I never told my parents because I I felt shame as a lot of people do. And I kept it down and I thought I dealt with it. And then fast forward to 2016 and I fast forward to 2016 and, and I felt a calling to talk about it. And I remember calling my parents and telling them and they were crying and they were like, are you sure? And I said, I've never been more sure of anything in my entire life. And y'all, that radical vulnerability, happy tears, that radical vulnerability led to creating a movement. And when I doubt myself and doubt this movement and doubt my legacy and purpose in this world, our business manager, and I'm changing the narrative, Jason likes to remind me, he's like, Rachel, you created this from nothing, from an idea, like from nothing, from pain, you use your pain for purpose. And so I got radically vulnerable and I've been radically vulnerable about the chapter about purity. And then a couple of years ago, I really felt like my husband, and we'll get into it in another chapter, but I I really felt like uh, God was calling me again to talk about another point in time in my life that wasn't pretty and um, wasn't lovely. 
And I went to my husband and asked him if I had his blessing to talk about it. And he said, yes. And we'll probably talk about it next week. And he gave me that that blessing and it blew the lid off of speaking to other people and helping them break free from the chains of addiction. So that's what radical vulnerability is. It is going, here I am. It's sharing something that you're terrified to share with a trusted person, right? That you, and, and it, then you go, you know, like you're like, wow, I don't have to carry that anymore. That's great. I don't have to carry that anymore. You mentioned your legacy. Your legacy is already outstanding through the work of the movement and Joy Stars and those things. I can't wait to see where it goes after this book gets out in the world. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I deeply receive that deeply. I, I will say, do it afraid. Whatever it is, y'all, whoever's listening to this, you're scared. You're, you're, you're contemplating starting the bakery. You're contemplating starting the passion project. You're contemplating taking a new job. You're contemplating going on a first date. You're contemplating doing the thing. Do it afraid. Do it afraid. And why am I saying that? I'm saying that, y'all, because in 13 days, and they're already people that I don't even know. And this is like mind blowing to me. People that I don't even know will be reading about my life. And that just like, it's equally terrifying and exhilarating at the same time that not for me. And I will keep telling you this till the day I die, not for me, for God's glory. Like I don't want, this is not for, you know, Rachel's ego. It's not at all because this is the most vulnerable work that I've ever done. This is not for me. This is for God to get the glory. But it is very trippy and mind-blowing that there's going to be somebody in Alaska or somebody in Afghanistan or wherever that's going to be reading this book and and making thoughts about Rachel. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chapter nine, because now I'm nervous and I'm nervous laughing. <laughs> I'm, I'm obviously nervous about the book coming out. Um, I'm, I'm nervous in a good way, but I'm to the point, y'all, where I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, you know, like, um, did I get it all done? Did I do this? You know, are people going to like me? And no, not really that so much like me. It's, it's just, it's exactly what Natasha said. It's radically vulnerable. I have been radically vulnerable in this book. Scared, Rachel. I'm doing it scared, Natasha. I'm doing it scared, Jackie. I'm doing it scared. Yeah. So chapter nine, feed your soul. And this just goes on to like soul care and how, yes, self-care is super important, but it goes beyond that. You know, it goes into soul care. Everybody is so deserving and so worthy of all the great things. And even if you feel like you're not, Something that you said, I mean, it just struck me like you're talking about the Andes and Kilimanjaro or whatever. And like the same God who created the wonders of the world created you with the same amount of purpose. Yes. So like, I mean, Isn't how crazy? How important does that make you feel to hear that? But we just blunder through life all the time, not thinking like that. We just take ourselves for granted, basically. And we don't realize what we were made for. I'm going to read that. Here I go again. I already read this from the last chapter. So apparently I've got a message in this book. You aren't defective and you're not broken. What's <laughs> in another chapter? Um, I tell people this all the time. The same loving creator who thought the world needed the Andes and Kilimanjaro lovingly thought the world could also use one of you. You do not need to be sent back to the factory for reassembly. Trust me on this. And here's the coolest part. No one on this planet can accomplish what you were sent to accomplish. 
There is a beautiful and one-of-a-kind roadmap associated with your fingerprints and your heartbeat. You have things, places, and people that are uniquely assigned to you. For example, I believe I was born to create I'm Changing the Narrative, to put my unique stamp on it, to use my experiences to help others. That's what I am hoping for you. There are people you haven't even met whom you're going to love. And there are times you're not aware of when you'll be sent into a situation specifically for someone. You're their angel, their guidepost. And the beautiful part is that you may or may not ever know this side of heaven, the vast impact you will have in this lifetime. Here's the last thing. you, But you do need to learn to love, care for, and value yourself. You need to learn how to care for your soul, which is deeper than self-care. That's why we call it soul care. So that is literally the quote that I had written down on my piece of paper. There will be times that you're sent to a situation or specifically for someone. And literally, I'm witnessing that right now in my life, which I mean, you can find it every day. But I will say that I've talked before about I had a loved one someone that I love dearly in my life that suffered with addiction for years. And it was the most difficult situation I think I've ever been through. And so I have someone else in my life. I will be very vague as to how I know this person, but this person is going through similar situations and I could sense it. And I shared about my loved one and how I witnessed that and what it was like and that she triumphed and that she got out of it. And I did share some of the difficult times. Um, and this person is now taking a leave of absence and doing what she needs to do to take care of herself. No. She's putting her whole life on hold to put her sobriety and her health number one. And she's going to get the help she needs. And she's told me that. If it weren't been for me sharing my situation with my loved one, that she doesn't think she would have had the gut to admit what was going on in her life and pursue that. I've shared before my loved one that went through that. She she wants to help other people. She said she thinks she went through that because she was meant to help other people deal with it and come out on the other side. And so I. I get to tell her that someone she's never met is seeking help because of her story. And that's just full circle. I had my hand on my heart for those who will listen to the podcast. I just felt that so deeply for Natasha. And this goes along with everything we've been talking about tonight. Your greatest gifts are not things. They are time. They are people. They are experiences. And I don't think there's any more beautiful story than a full circle story. I will share very briefly. In 2017, I went to Baylor and they had just, they had just gotten through the scandal. There was not a player. There was not a coach there that had anything to do with it. They had cleaned house administration as well. Yet the players were still being called rapist and, and no means no and screaming things at fans and, and, and all tennis players and all sorts of people. Fan, I mean, you know, if you're a Baylor fan, you got the brunt of it. I was still on Sirius XM at the time. Most media was just regurgitating material, right? Or bashing Baylor. And I uh, had known Matt Rule from the coach at that time from being on Sirius. 
And so I went through about a six-month process of meeting with people. They were very weary, the new administration, understandably, go in there. And I finally get in to go speak. And the players there, it was they had their heads down. They didn't want to hear me. They had their walls up. They were tired of being attacked, these innocent young men that had nothing to do with it. And whatever I said that day, um, I probably got it in my files somewhere, but whatever I said that day, and it, and it was a gist of this, that I believe in you, I love you, I see you, there's the next great king in this room, there's the next great author and dad and inventor and businessman, and you're going to leave a legacy and you're going to do great things. And all of a sudden, it was like, you know, the walls fell down, the scales fell off the eyes, and they, by the end of it, they were in it, Right. So I continued going back to Baylor over and over again, multiple times. I was on the sidelines for some of their games. I ate with them. I was pre-game meals. You know, I was very close to this team for Kedrick Vaughn serves with us and I'm changing the narrative. And over the weekend, not this weekend, but last, um, and this is the summation of the story, a Baylor fan, a big Baylor fan who knew me from then and has a message board, got a hold of the fact that I am trying to donate books to the love lady. And that we have a whole page set up for that. And um, he rallied Baylor fans and they raised, we're, we're trying to donate a thousand books. And over the weekend, they raised $2,000 and like another couple of hundred books. Like it was just insane what they did over the weekend. And and I think, Natasha, why I'm bringing this up is because your story came full circle minded too. And just like your this person in your life will never know, you know, that this new person, the the old the person that went through it the first time will never maybe possibly meet the new person, right? But you have that knowing that your story impacted somebody. And the same thing for me, those players in 2017 had no idea what would happen. I had no idea what would happen that because of that in 2017, these Baylor fans would turn around and th- he said, she stood up for us in 2017. Let's stand up for her now. And they raised this money. And so now just like you, I get to walk into this women's shelter that I've been going to for 10 years and I get to give them books that were purchased by Baylor fans that were inspired by something I did back in 2017 and they didn't forget it. And they turned around full circle and they they now rewarded some woman that they'll never know, that they'll never meet this side of heaven. But they'll get a copy of this book and not get a hand-me-down. And they're going to get clothes from my mom's boutique before she passed away that still have, you know, tags on them. And I just, of all the stories out there, Natasha, I love full circle stories. I just want to read this one little part before we we go. It's that I learned how much bad news I could take and win. Dr. Josh, our resident psychologist at, at, at I'm Changing the Narrative, taught me that. I started to look at my soul as an ecosystem. Junk in, and I'm polluting my ecosystem. And junk could be crappy food, people who kill your dreams, toxins, negative self-talk, and even crime shows, my guilty pleasure. I'm interested in true crime because I'm fascinated by why people do what they do. I was mindful not to watch, listen to, or read true crime articles, shows, or stories late at night, lest I have horrific nightmares. And the same goes for the good stuff going into my soul's ecosystem. Sunshine, Jesus, burning firewood, flowers, homegrown produce, helping others, connecting with other humans, exercise, dancing, learning new things, and prayer were some of the things that helped beautify my soul during such a tenuous time. 
I also learned at The Office, a silly, politically incorrect TV show about an office led by a bungling and inappropriate boss was one of the greatest forms of self-care for my own soul. Um, and it, it keeps going. You'll you'll read it. Um, but still to this day, Natasha and I have talked about this, still to this day, I know what I can do for my soul. I can pray. I can nap. I can dance. I can watch The Office. Those are like two top four, like given, like things that I can do that that helped me refill and I always use the the you're not be able to hear it in the pod but refill the cup of my soul and when I'm not taking care of myself when any human is not tending to the garden of their soul you are going to have a breakdown or a break on somebody else and it's uh physically mentally emotionally it is so important to be thoughtful of of your own soul but it's this it's really just doing an inventory and and that's what I taught in the chapter that Dr. Josh taught me is doing an inventory, checking in with yourself. How am I right now? Am I crabby? Am I a butthole? Am I tired? Am I overstimulated? I call myself a turd. A lot of times Natasha and I've talked about it. Like I'm the first person to tell you that I can be a turd and I need to put myself in timeout or apologize to somebody or a lot of times my husband and because marriage brings out the best and the worst of you. And oh gosh, you learn a lot about yourself and others in marriage. And a lot about the person you want to be and don't want to be. And so this chapter is also about doing that inventory, giving yourself grace when you have been that way, but also saying, I don't want to stay this way. Why did I? I, Why was I crabby? I had a situation, again, being, I've always very vulnerable in my teachings the other night where, and I teach on this, I teach on this very example where my husband said something. And he didn't mean it at all, like, uh, like to shut me down or to be rejecting or any manner. But I was in like a headspace and I had not been in therapy and wasn't kind of doing what I took it like that. And like we had a little silly little squabble over it because he wasn't trying to say anything. He was actually trying to give me a boundary and tell me not right now and, you know, and whatever. And then I immediately internalized it. And yeah, and I own that. And you know what? I'm grateful that I can own it because that allowed me to say, hey, I want to be better. Hey, those filters and screens that we all have, if I'm not constantly attacking it with the sword of truth, I'm not rejected. I'm not unlovable. I'm not those things. Then um, then next time he says something like that, I'm like, okay, baby, I'll talk to you later. You know, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. But if you're operating from an empty cup, if you're not taking care of your soul, if you're not checking in with yourself, if you're not in therapy, if you're not taking care of your soul, once again, it's very easy to misconstrue somebody else's intention, their words, especially in a text. And then when you don't have anything in your own cup, you're like, wow, you know, and that's what we do as humans. And I am really big on teaching from a place of not perfection, because I ain't got it figured out. I've got some ideas. Why don't you come along? You know, like I am not that leader that's going to come up there and be like, I got it all figured out. Let me give you the seven formulas to success. No, I've got some really good ideas about living a meaningful and joyful life. Um, but I'm going to be the first person to tell you I'm human. And I think the people that I relate to the most are also if they're also fallible and screw up and make mistakes and show their cards instead of trying to say, I've got it all figured. 
kind of been wrapping it up. Just because we say all this and we get on here and say that these are the things that we should know that we should always do, it doesn't mean we always do them. And it doesn't mean that we're always good at doing what we what we know we should. And we should give ourselves grace for that, too. And also, just to kind of speak to uh, what Josh was saying, you know, like, you don't always find the time. Sometimes you just have to make the time. And then also, find little moments. Like, I am really big on words of affirmation and positivity and things like that. And so it doesn't matter if I pop in the restroom and I'm washing my hands at work. I'll look myself in the mirror and be like, man, I look good right now. Or, or man, I'm going to go right back out there and kill it. Or yeah. you know, I'm a kick butt jog today, you know, like find those moments. Um, I have a super short commute to work. And sometimes I choose to blast music and sing at the top of my lungs because that's what I needed to get myself hype. And then sometimes I choose to to talk out loud and pray and manifest and hope and dream to myself out loud in my car. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, you just find those moments. And we're all so overscheduled and so busy, but you know, you ha- you cannot pour from an empty cup, like Rachel always says. So you have to fill your cup. And you can do that in small doses. My bonus daughter, I'll, I'll leave everybody with this, came in last night. And she's been reading with the neighbors. She was over at the neighbors and they were reading and they were talking about it. And she said, it's just so crazy. Like you wrote a book and like, we're like in it and stuff, like our life. And I said, I know, right? She goes, I mean, like, why don't I have a copy? And I said, well, you want a copy? I said, of course I got a copy for you. And I said, well, I have to sign it. So I signed it last night. And my heart grew like seven sizes knowing that my, my bonus baby was proud of me and that she was excited. She's six, about 16. She says, I want you to write another one so you can write more about me. But it's so wonderful to have people come alongside you. But I'll just also say, Jackie, it's so lovely to have family come alongside you and say, this is great. And we, we love it. And I'll, I'll say this on the way out. I had a friend, Christy Dosh, who's a, an attorney and an author herself. She said, you know, writing a book is a bit like birthing a child and bringing it out to the world and saying, I hope you think my child is pretty and certainly anything but ugly. So thank y'all so much for tonight. And thank you for joining everybody who watched. Thank you, Natasha, for a wonderful Jackie and Josh and Shannon and James and all the people that popped in as well. Thank you for another amazing week of Table Talk. 